0: Sam Bankman-Fried found guilty on all seven counts today. A special look back at the blockbuster trial from inside the courtroom, and what it might mean going forward. It's Friday, November third. Welcome to the Tech Check podcast. I'm Deirdre Bosa,
1: and I'm Mark Gilbert. Today, a final chapter in the fall of Sam Bankman-Fried, guilty of fraud on all counts. And a special guest joining us, CNBC's Kate Rooney, who spent weeks inside the courtroom, has covered FTX and for years.
0: From the streets of New York, fresh off the trial. You can,
1: yeah, you can hear it. We really added guys- some sound effects of uh, the streets of New York behind you.
0: Windy
2: streets of New York. I'm in downtown Manhattan, rolling in a suitcase the New York Stock Exchange. So this is, here is guys are getting... The real behind the scenes. Oh, I mean, this is
1: what we wanted the podcast to be about, about what it was like to cover the trial. Apparently, covering the trial, uh, yeah, involves a lot of uh, carrying a suitcase around lower Manhattan.
0: <laughs> well, as Especially I, for, for a San Francisco-based reporter, Kate, okay, you've just been yes. doing the gauntlet back and forth from Living east to west coast.
2: on an airplane. I miss San Francisco big time, so it's good to catch up with you guys.
0: But Kate, okay, yeah, so tell us, yeah,
1: talk to us about from inside the courtroom, you've been there uh, on and off for, for weeks, just sort of your, your big picture takeaways as someone who actually was was sitting there, you know, without a phone, without a computer, just watching day after day this testimony. Yeah.
2: So that's a wild dynamic. You are not allowed to have a phone or any electronics inside the courthouse. It's, it was supposed to be a six-week trial. It went a lot faster than a lot of people thought. So it ended up lasting about four weeks. And you get there every day. You go through security, and then you have to leave your phones outside or check them at the door. And there's all these overflow rooms. So the main room where Sam Bankman-Fried and his parents are, you got to get in line at five a.m. And especially on big witness days. So when Caroline Ellison was testifying, when Sam Bankman-Fried was testifying, the line was around the corner. People were getting there three, or four in the morning to make sure they got a seat inside the actual courthouse. So. One of our most reliable informants in there was actually our sketch artist. Uh, she was incredible, and she had a seat right behind Sam beckwith and would come out in breaks and say, hey, guys, he was just looked really aggravated or he started tearing up there. And so that was really fascinating. We were in and out of the overflow room, which was actually much more rowdy and rambunctious than it would have been in front of Judge Kaplan, who's a very distinguished, established judge in the Southern District. And the overflow rooms were a bunch of reporters running in and out with notes. So we had a team, John Geel, one of our amazing producers, intern, coming in and out all day. I was able to be in there a bunch in between TV hits. And if there was big news, they would come out with a piece of paper. We'd go in and out. And in between that, we were trying to just like condense some of this information to go on CNBC because there was so much pouring out of these testimonies and so much salacious detail that it was honestly hard to pick a headline and pick what people wanted to hear in you know two or three minutes that we get on CNBC. So a challenge there, but went a lot faster than we thought. Really strong, convincing testimony from some of his top lieutenants and That was reflected in the decision that we got yesterday, that the jury came to that decision in about four hours, which is light speed in one of these cases. I was talking to some legal experts and said the fastest possible time is probably three or four hours. And especially in a complicated case like this, it's unexpected that you would get it that quickly. And it's never good news for the defendant if that's the case, which obviously it
0: was the case here. It felt like we were hearing from you throughout the whole thing, though, that while it happened so fast, it wasn't entirely a surprise because you would be telling us all along that um, the defense wasn't great, that he didn't have much to stand on. And going back to the sketch artist, right, who said that he looked kind of nervous and anxious the whole time. By the way, the sketch artist had kind of a big role in this, right? That (laughs) seemed to capture social media. By storm oh. as well, sort of these <laughs> images, and then you you couldn't tell what was AI generated and what was actually from the courtroom. um So, were there a number, or did we get basically just a few? A few, a few sketches, or <laughs> yeah few,
2: uh, yeah, yeah. So they're they they were churning out artwork uh, for the most part. There's actually it's interesting the sketch artists crew. There was probably three or four of them, and they have. Uh, they all work freelance, so we instead of video. Obviously, it's an odd dynamic for CNBC, it's a very visual medium, uh, to not be able to show anything from inside the courtroom. And it's kind of ironic because you might as well have a live stream inside that courtroom. There was dozens of reporters. There had wire services, so you're getting real time information. You're getting sketch art sketches of the whole thing. Yeah, you're not allowed to video. So I feel like it kind of defeats the purpose of right. I don't know what I have that, another that's about. It's random technical
0: technical question does anyone try and sneak in their phone
2: I had heard of people doing that um not reporters but some of the lawyers <laughs> <laughs> uh but it's really hard to do it's it's truly as if you're going through airport security and you also have to take off your jackets and I don't think they no one can see us right now but I'm wearing this ridiculous warm jacket and I uh, would have to take off like 100 layers because it was freezing outside but yeah, so you're going through pretty much airport security and then it is I mean the Scotus intern image of people running out with the decision is kind of what we saw right last runners night when we got the verdicts. Mm-hmm. the runners. So our uh, our intern Devania has has a future as a Scotus runner. She <laughs> sprinted out We uh, last night so it's uh, flashing back to kind of before we got the verdict we were thinking this was gonna go until Monday it got to be seven. So so, um, and the court was supposed to adjourn at 8 p.m., and that was an extension. Usually, it wraps up around 4.30, the judge in this
1: case. Uh-oh, I think we just lost uh, Kate's mic for a second.
0: I think we did as well, but, I mean, she's been non-stop on the go for the last few days. Um, so, we got to some of the technicalities of it, Gilbert. I mean, as we watched it through the news cycle, I thought that there was a lot of interest around Carolyn Ellison, of course, and that seemed, she seemed to have done such a good job and helped the prosecution so much. And when you compare sort of what you heard about her performance with Sam Bankman fried himself um, and remember, she had a deal right? that we don't know the details of, uh, but that must have helped sort of the case.
1: Right. And I don't think I, I, I think one of the interesting things about this case is that sort of the the facts of the matter are sort of not in dispute. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. sort of clear what happened to, um, you know, the, the, there was money coming in and now there's sort of a mystery of where that money has gone. So clearly, you know, something happened to it. Um, I think the, the, the interesting sort of debate of the case is in the, uh, you know, did Sam bankman free do this sort of knowingly and and purposefully, or did he lose his money as you know all sorts of of professional investors and and you know business operators lose money all mm-hmm. the time? Um, and so I do agree that the the people who sort of knew him best, um, Carolyn Allisons, who were able to sort of draw a picture of his motivation is was really the most interesting part.
0: There were so many interesting little twists and turns in the trial, maybe not so little. I mean, even the idea that to testify himself, he needed his, what was it, essentially Adderall for his ADHD to be able to perform.
1: Right. I'm going to, we have Kate back. Kate's back with us. I'm going to unmute her mic. All Kate, right. you're back. Technical difficulties. Sorry,
0: guys. Ta- <laughs> tell us, we were just that talking, <laughs> we were just talking about Carolyn Ellison. Tell us what that was like,
2: her testimony you guys. I, I thought was uh, really the most interesting part of the trial. Um, so you guys probably got into this background, but this was his former girlfriend, his former CEO of the hedge fund that he owned 90% of. He was a very public figure. You know, we interviewed Sam Beckham for News on CNBC a bunch. He was by no means media shy. Caroline Ellison was never around. these. Co- they threw conferences in the Bahamas. She just was never around. She was a sort of secretive figure and when all of this came out there were a lot of questions about you know what she was doing behind the scenes she just really was it was a private person and uh we hadn't heard from her since the collapse there was this leaked zoom video of her pretty much admitting that she had committed crimes and that they were all in the direction of Bank retreat so we had that to go off of but she was the most emotional account i would say she showed the most remorse of any mm. any witness mm. and um do you guys stop me by the way? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I okay, got go. you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, We're hanging on your every so, word. Yeah, so she... <laughs> okay, perfect. I figure I'm walking down Broadway and I'm like, I might have lost them. Anyway, so yeah, she's the most emotional, showed remorse, whereas the others talked about a lot of what happened in a very matter of fact, almost robotic way. And I thought Caroline Ellison was the only one who talked about guilt and regret. And remorse, and said that she lived in a state of dread, knowing that this all was going to come crashing down. And said so she actually felt a sense of relief when all of this happened. That you can imagine the weight of somebody right. knowing that they committed crimes of that nature, and knowing that eventually this is all going to come crashing downwards. We didn't hear that at all from Sam Baker. Not an inch of that. I mean, he obviously was saying that that's he, a
1: big thing. I wonder that. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder how this would have been differently if he had come to this trial with you know contrition.
2: I think it would have played well with the jury. And he did have this sense. I mean, obviously pleaded not guilty and is maintaining his innocence and still saying that they're going to appeal. So I think in some senses, he can't seem too contrite. Otherwise, it it doesn't play well because mm-hmm. they might think he's guilty. But he, sh- he really showed no remorse. And he would say things like, gosh, I feel, I regret these things. I regret not having enough risk management. And I, I feel badly for customers. I don't think it it seemed genuine. At least the jury didn't feel that way. That uh, right, they just didn't and it was see like an incredible f- witness.
0: A fine balance, right, between showing remorse and taking on responsibility, which he was trying yes. not to do. The whole argument was, you know, he was a bad CEO. So, I, Kate, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, go that,
2: ahead. That, oh no, that, that that's such a good point, too. But I was just going to say the one of the the strongest points I thought that the prosecution made in closing arguments was that he was the smartest guy in the room. He went to MIT, studied physics. He raised billions of dollars. And now all of a sudden you're supposed to think that he was clueless. Like, give me a break. You got to find this guy guilty. (laughs) So I just thought that was such a strong closing argument.
0: So as we wrap this up and we're going to let you go, hey, what are some of your biggest takeaways? You've been covering not just FTX, but crypto for years now. What does it mean for the whole space?
1: There they are. They're going after another one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there goes another (laughs) one.
2: that's a great question. I, th- I have been really surprised at how the industry has sort of shaken this off and almost chalked it up to one unique case of financial fraud and that there's not a lot of big takeaways. For me, there's a ton of takeaways on reporting and covering the space. Yeah. And just that he was the most credible, biggest name in the space. Like, it's hard to underline what a big figure he was. And how influential he was. And I think you know, he obviously with private companies a lot of times you you take these executives at their word, and it really it honestly makes you more skeptical of anyone you speak to. And I think all of us wish we were the journalists who broke the story. And even Coindesk, which had the scoop on this, you know, the, the week that this yeah. all pretty much unraveled, they didn't even have the worst version of the balance sheet, which is what we learned in the testimony that the one that they leaked was not even the real version. It was significantly worse than anybody thought. So wow. just a good reminder, <laughs> I think, in that sense. And then as far as the lessons, I mean, I think the, the venture capital community sees this as a reminder to do due diligence in a way that you can't always detect fraud in the way that they hit it in uh, on other corporate balance sheets. But right. I think there is well. some crow to be eaten that uh, at least... A lot of VC names that were in this, I think, have gone through some embarrassment. And um, yeah.
0: You would think so. But I wanted to bring up, you know, one thing, which was Sequoia was one of the investors of FTX, and they wrote this really glowing. review and feature on sam Bankman-Fried himself and they've been largely silent since everything unraveled but you had um, the sequoia partner who was behind that investment alfred lynn tweeting last yeah. night um, immediately after ftx class we extensively reviewed our due diligence process and evaluated our 18-month working relationship with sbf we concluded that we had been deliberately misled and lied to he's getting a lot of pushback to your point kate a lot of crow to be eaten by the VCs. It'll take some time on a week two, where, you know, WeWork is filing for bankruptcy. These stories almost happen in a cycle, but that's that's part of the industry as well, right? Is leap yeah. of faith assumptions and believing in world changing ideas.
2: I totally agree. And I think one of the, one of the lessons here is I think the things that were in hindsight, red flags about Sam Beckford Breed were some of the reasons why the venture community loved him. They it was sort of like Elizabeth Holmes, where they, she had the Steve Jobs aura around her, and she kind of built this persona uh, that venture capitalists really loved. Same thing with Sam Beckwith-Fried. One of the things we heard in the testimony was that he cultivated that image and that he very much used it to his advantage. The crazy hair, the cargo shorts, the Toyota Corolla was all kind of a shtick. And he, it, yeah. at least his top lieutenants testified to that. Um, and so I think for, for the venture community, if a story and a, an inv- investment seems too good to be true, it probably is. And I also think there's a, the FOMO factor of uh, the ZERP era, zero interest rates, that Zerp. this people were high on free money. And there was a sense of if you don't get in on this round quickly, you don't get the opportunity. And this was the hottest investment in crypto for a while. So I, I'm sure there was a sense of FOMO that... You know, you don't want to be left out of this big round, and I think it's a good reminder and a lesson that um, is just good to keep in mind, especially in these high-flying industries. I guess AI
0: would be the next—you you, know—who saved on the on the totally opposite end of the spectrum, which Kate Gilbert, you and I—we all got to talk about at some point. Was Tether? We have to revisit how that was saved by higher interest rates. An incredible story there as well, but the effects. Of higher interest rates are still very much playing out. And Kate, thank you so much for bringing us all of the inside information from that incredible trial. Um, I'm sure, no doubt, you'll be joining us again soon.
1: Yeah, we have to. I think that there's so much more we could discuss about about the uh, Elizabeth Holmes comparison, about believing things when they're too good to be good to be true. And obviously, if you're a board or an investor um, and you can't believe what management is telling you, maybe there are some other ways that you could, uh, you know, raise some red flags. But yeah, Kate, nice job covering this trial. Thank you for joining us. We'll have you on again. Um, Make sure you watch for podcast listeners. We have other pieces coming today. Uh, we have at cnbc.com slash tcweekly and cnbc.com slash techcheck. Uh, we'll have um, some more digital pieces today floating on the future of autonomous vehicles, Deirdre, and oh, yeah. the future of electronic vehicles, um, both of which have taken a bit, of a, uh, had a bit of a hard road.
0: Indeed, they have. And so it's a good deep dive. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll see you on Monday.